Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I am your Captain Tim O'Byrne, not for Justin Mills, but with him. Because of this super storm that we're all going through this weekend, we had to shuffle a few things around, and it's my turn. Somebody left the door unlocked in the editor's shack here, so I busted out, and I'm taking over this program, and we're going to find out a little bit more about your host, Mr. Justin Mills. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show, everybody. I am your stand-in host, the Captain Tim O'Byrne, and we have a, we have a very distinguished guest today, uh, Justin Mills, who has joined us two years ago now, I think, Justin. We've got 107. This is the 107th episode, yeah. and folks, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm really, really uh, proud and pleased to announce that uh, this show in 107 episodes has gone over the top of 200,000 cumulative downloads in that short period of time. I think that's amazing, Justin, in this niche market that we're in. And I'm seeing that some of your latest shows are actually going over like 2.5, 2.8 downloads per episode, mm-hmm. like 2,800 downloads per episode. What do you got to say about that, Justin? Yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm surprised too. As you said, I think you classified it right there. That's interesting. We are a niche market with what we're doing here because it's it's a, you know, when we're talking agriculture and, and specifically ranching, it, it is t- kind of narrows the audience down just a little bit. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that and see it grow. But what I find interesting too is that um, I really see that the some of these episodes that we've done here lately that are really getting into some real uh you know the dilemmas that we all face in ranching you know we talked we started kick the year off with it was you know why juniors shouldn't come back to the ranch we talked about raising your kids on a ranch those kinds of things we talked cattle markets with clint berry last week and all of these things that just are very relevant and and i've really seen people like that like a lot of that information that we got there and like i've told uh other folks too i said you know i i ranch here in 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 wyoming and so really if there's topics that we're covering it's probably because in my own mind i've got questions about it so i hope i hope it's doing what what it's very helpful to folks out there and the information that we've been able to cover because really i i think if we can all share some of the experiences that we have out there it just helps helps us all out along well and you've got such a way of of bringing we're talking about some really difficult subjects like you brought up junior coming back to the to the ranch i mean that was probably one of the most downloaded episodes that we've had and uh, you're not scared to tackle those topics, but you tackle them in a very fair and honest way. Uh, you, you really, it's something about you that really reaches out to our, to our demographic. And, and it's, it's, it's like you get, uh, you get what's really important out there. And I also love the fact that you do have uh, guests like Clint Berry coming back uh, time after time. You, you managed to get Don Day on with the weather segment, and that's been incredible. I have learned so much. And folks, you got to understand that every word that comes out, Working Ranch, every everything on social media, everything uh, on the on the podcast radio show, I'm proofing all this stuff. Just you know, mostly for technical stuff. But I sit back every episode and I listen to what you've created and how your guests open up to you and how they trust you and they trust the Working Ranch brand, and that enables you to get into conversations that. Um, are so helpful to us because you, you take a lot of the guesswork out of 
out of some of these things. You know, or, well, they didn't really get that deep into that topic. So I wonder if they would have thought about this. Will you answer all those questions? And, and I really do appreciate how you how you do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I appreciate the compliments here, but I and I don't want to this this show. I'm going to be honest with you is going to be tough for me a little bit because the last person I want to talk about <laughs> is myself. But I know at the same time that we have had folks say, let's find out more about what you do in our in on your ranching operations. And so that's kind of you and I a few weeks ago, you'd send a, a text out or an email out and said, hey, you, you know, we need to I need to interview at you some point so you can talk a little bit about what you all do. And so. So that's kind of that's kind of where this is coming from. It works good, as you said at the beginning. We're getting hit with a pretty good winter storm up in our part of the country. I know folks down in the southern part of the country, maybe not quite as much. It's been rather hot down there, but today's show will have that opportunity to do that. So you know, one of the things that we always do in this first segment is uh, a little bit about uh, what what's on your mind for the week. And so I, I asked you before we went on air. I said, Are you going to have a t- since you're kind of the co main host for this week's show? Are you going to have your two cents? or anything you say oh yeah i got something so what's on your mind this week as we uh, look at uh, what's tim's two cents this week mine is uh, like some folks ask me sometimes are you a glass half full guy or a glass half empty kind of guy and you know there's i guess there's two answers to that i got a third answer i'm a <laughs> i'm a dang glad i got a glass kind yeah. of guy and i have the, i live in a free country and i'm able to go out and fill that cup and maybe share it with other people that's my two cents. Well, that's pretty short and sweet. I think the point of that, too, that I, I can identify with is just being grateful for what the opportunities that we have. So appreciate that. Uh, real quick, I know uh, I do, and I mentioned this last week, uh, the March issue of Working Ranch Magazine is out. Everybody should have their copies of that. Boy, another great uh Another great issue of, of good articles. In fact, I pointed to the one that uh, meshed up with our DNA topic that we had last week that's uh, written in there, too. But just another great issue. You know, we've been blessed to have the same writers for probably like the 17 years that we've been doing this. We've had a lot of the same writers just continually uh, with very little um, input from from our end. Just basically a one-liner, go get me a story on this. And they come back time after time after time with, I, I believe, the, the best fresh stories. I mean, we will run some uh, uh, reprints uh, every now and again from other titles, but most of the stuff, pretty much all the stuff is fresh. It's brand new. It's a new in, uh, insight into things, and it's, uh, it's pretty quick turnaround. So we're really happy with that, and we're going to continue to do it as long as we're around. Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, as you can tell, a little bit different type of show here this week. The Captain Tim O'Byrne coming in as our main host. I'm uh, kind of along the sidelines here as we'd had some requests from some folks wanting to know a little bit more about uh, what I do here. So we're going to be doing that later on in the show. But I did want to let you know, uh, we were on tap for this week. We were going to be doing a show on year-round grazing. That was the plan. However, uh, with this big storm that we had, it kind of threw things into a lurch for some of the guests that I had lined up. Vance Mitchell out of uh, southern uh, Lolita, Texas down there was uh, joining me. Now, he had no problem making things work with the type of weather they have. However, for my guests up in the northern part of the country, a little tougher for them with the amount of snowfall and wind and the cold weather that we've, we experienced. So we're going to hold that off. That'll be on our upcoming show. In addition, I might also point out that Jim Garish is going to be joining us as well later on in, a, in, a, in another show as we're going to continue talking about year-round grazing. He's got the book 
called uh, entitled Kicking the Hay Habit. So uh, he's going to be a guest down the road for us as well. So be sure to tune in for that. Just a quick shout out here today to Chimney Rock Cattle Company out of Concord, Arkansas. Their sale coming up on March 28th. They'll be selling 160 head of Brangus and Ultra Black Bulls along with 200 head of commercial females. And these cattle, they're bred for adaptive to be adaptable in multiple environments. They're resilient to heat, consistent quality with a docile disposition, all bred into one good cattle there. If you want to find out more, you can go to Gene plus Brangus.com. You can find more information on Chimney Rock Cattle Company's sale. Also, you can request a catalog as well. Be looking for that sale coming up on March 28th. Well, before we head to break, I do want to thank our sponsors of this segment, the American Simmental Association. And a few years ago, they did a survey with several different commercial producers. And did you know that one of the largest growth in bull breed types that those commercial producers were interested in purchasing were bulls with Sim Genetics? Heteros works, which is why with Simmental it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Well, stay with us when we come back. Captain Tim O'Byrne sitting in as main host. I'm Justin Mills. I'll be back with him as well when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show, everybody. I am your captain, Tim O'Byrne, and I am the guest host on this show today. I have a fresh, hot cup of coffee in my Working Ranch coffee cup, and I'm ready to find out a little bit about what makes our actual real host, Justin Mills. Justin, are you with us? Yeah, I am. I hear. And thanks for thanks for helping me out here this week. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody's basically snowed in. I I did a post on Facebook last night that said, "Hey, everybody, uh, you know, we'll check with you and uh, hope you make it through this big storm." And this, I mean, even like down here, people think the Southwest is free of that, but the highway uh, east and west of Flagstaff, Arizona, I forty, it's been shut down for two days, and hmm. I mean, it's a big deal. There's a lot of snow down here, so. It's, it's it's all over the place, yeah. but we'll make it through. Yep. Let's get back to you, Justin. Tell us about. I want to get into your family history and how you know. Obviously, you're in Wyoming area. Um, you uh, your family's been there for quite a while, working with livestock. Get take us back and and, and start at the mm-hmm. beginning. Okay. Well, uh, the Mills family, which is where, you know, my family, and then of course we can kind of touch briefly on my mom's side of the family too. But, but on my, uh, on my particular, my, my dad's side of the family, uh, the Millses would have come out of, you know, as many homesteaders did back in the day, came out of the Midwest of usually Iowa or Eastern Nebraska. And a lot of them headed out this way because, uh, you know, it was, it was where things were happening and there was land to be that you could get uh, on your on your homesteads and so they moved into uh into uh eastern wyoming and 
and homesteaded uh, near what is now the town of Wright, Wyoming. And uh, and now at this point in time, uh, some of the largest or one of the U.S.'s largest open pit coal mine is close into that area as well. And so they homesteaded there. And at the time, of course, as a lot of homesteaders did back in those days, they brought the same concept that they did, whether they were in Illinois or Iowa or or Missouri or those places, which usually involved, you know, what a lot of old time farms were. You had a little pigs, you had some sheep, you had uh, some some chickens and, and some cattle and some things like that. And they tried to do that out here. In fact, I believe they even had, they had pigs out here, which were really not known for a state of having a lot of pigs, but uh, but it's wide open and, and it was in the, it, it's in the grasslands, Thunder Basin grasslands of Wyoming and very open open ground and at that particular time there was uh back in the turn of, or at the night in the early 1900s that was still where there were some very large ranches or families that had ranches and one of those families was by the name of Keyline, and they were and uh, they were a very very large ranching operation that went up into the Black Hills of Wyoming to as far south as I believe oh almost like Lusk and maybe further Lusk Wyoming and just they covered a really pretty good size country. Well, as as the as the folks start coming in and, and homesteading, then that started to shrink a little bit up in those in, in for them. But my great granddad, they moved in, they homesteaded there, and my granddad was the oldest of all of his siblings. And at an early age, he began at about 18 years old. He began uh, working and breaking horses for the Keyline Ranch. And and back in those days, working and breaking a horse doesn't mean like you put 30 days on them. That was probably more like putting three days. Three days is what they were doing. I mean, it was pretty much for the for the point of just getting them so they get them caught and kind of get them slowed down a little bit and then they he'd turn them over to the you know to the to the cowboys for the keyline ranch and then they would they would go from there so that's kind of where the family started you know as far as when we evolved or moved into this part of the country and then from there you know they they begin to continue to the ranch begin to grow and um and and really for the most part we were a sheep operation in in southern in southern what is now campbell county wyoming so did you? You said that was your great grandfather. Yeah, that was my great granddad that did that, that that homesteaded up here. They called him Grant Mills, and I, of course, I never knew my great granddad and knew my granddad very well and respected my granddad a lot. Um, but my great great grandpa is what they called him. Didn't know him, and you know, and a lot of times those families were very. Um, I don't know how you say this. I, um, I don't know if any, I even know the right term, but you had siblings, and they might have worked around there, and all the money kind of went into one pot. It wasn't like, like if, you know, it wasn't like that my granddad and, and then my grandma who he married, uh, my grandma that she heard her father was, a, a, a preacher that was out in that part of the country, a preacher's daughter. And, um, and so he married her and, you know, kind of the money that was generated by everybody kind of got thrown into the same pot. And there was, you know, maybe a little bitterness with some of that. But at the same time, that's kind of how things were done. And uh, they worked together as a family and they, you know, they did that up until about the 1950s. And then some of the families, they started uh, spreading out. And my granddad uh, moved up and bought a place on the Belfouche River in northeast Wyoming of Crook County, Wyoming. And uh, that's where then I was raised my whole life. And, and they moved there in the 1950s when my dad was like a, a junior or senior in high school. Holy cow. 
So then did you did you kind of get back into cattle a little bit at that point? Yeah, we continued to raise. Yeah. Now, when we came up, when when the place was bought in the 1950s for the Mills Ranch, it was the idea that, you know, in southern Campbell County, Wyoming, it was pretty open and and you know, that grasslands. And the idea was this place was on the Belfouche River and that it would be the hay hay operation for that place in the other ranch. Now, this is in the 1950s and they didn't have the type of trucks or the movement ability that we see today. And we're probably, you know, these two places are probably, oh shoot, 70, 80 miles away. And so it quickly became known that that wasn't going to work. And so they pretty much kind of separated out. And, and at that time when, when we, we came out of Campbell County up into Crook County, yeah, we had a lot of uh, mostly sheep, um, but we there was little farming. You know, there were hay hay ground, and there was some farming that took place a little bit. Now, when I say farming, we're not talking like North Dakota or Kansas farming or anything like that. We're talking like hundred acre fields is all of dry land yeah. farm. You know, nothing that was big, but you know, we raised little wheat, raised some oats and and some barley, some feed, some feed like that, and and put up a lot of hay. And but as things continued to go for my dad, then. As granddad kind of retired in this in the late seventies and moved into town, then dad, my dad took over the ranch, and we continued to have a few sheep. But the predators were so tough on sheep, and we were in the Black Hills. the The ranch up in Crook County was in the Black Hills, and the predators, the coyotes, were so bad. I remember when we sold out on the sheep that particular spring. Uh, dad had made a mound that probably was up to your eyes of dead lambs that um, the coyotes had killed and he just said we can't keep we can't do this we can't do this anymore so he sold all the sheep in the early uh, mid 80s and we went strictly to just running cows and then farming a little bit in hay in hay ground so were them coyotes killing for kind of like the wolves do you know just kind of do a uh, a kill that's not related to 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 uh consumption yeah they just kind of do a mass kill yeah just for the fun of it you know that's what a lot of it was because you would you would get out there and and i mean the lamb wouldn't be eaten it'd just be dead um and so yeah, yeah it was you know and you can talk to some of the old time I've, I've talked to you know guys around where i'm at now in our ranch which is where i where Mila and i live and, and our ranching operation her folks's place is 30 miles south of where i grew up and of course we're back in kind of this open flatter flatter country here and you talk to some of the old sheep ranchers and 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 you know nowadays the ability to control uh coyotes um isn't we don't have some of those control methods and some of them were quite toxic to other animals which is why we don't have those anymore but if you'll talk to them they'll say things like we never had coyote problems back back in those days we never had because they were able to control them but now with you know there's certain things that we can't use you know legally can't use and they don't we don't because we have to this day i mean we have tremendous still predator issues so then you guys got into the cattle. What like have you always been around the cattle then? Yeah. So for me, growing up, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I was always around cattle um, and and sheep too. I can remember at an early age of um, you know we would 
We had uh, some hired uh, hands that would come up out of uh, Mexico and New Mexico that would help us through calving or through lambing season. And usually lambing season was early, uh, February, March, March-ish time for us because we had big barns. And so we could we could lamb under in in uh, under the barn, which was required, you know, if it was because of the kind of weather that we have. And so we would we would bring those folks in. And I can remember, um, you know, being around sheep. Uh, growing up uh, at early, early age, having to clean out and muck out, uh, you know the the lamp or the sheep pens and little they were little four by four uh, uh, jugs we called them, and uh, you have to go clean those out and clean the manure out and clean the bedding out and put a little. Uh, uh, stuff down or uh, losing my mind here or not losing my mind but missing my mind here on what uh, we would put down in the on the ground to keep it from getting bad on us and and uh, and then rebed them and and we we remembered I remember doing that as a kid quite a bit and we always had cattle but cattle in a way was kind of a second thing because the sheep was first and then when we migrated away from sheep then cattle was more of a thing but we also you know really in the summertime most of our work was entailed with haying and farming. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of folks don't think this about these big outfits like in Nevada and, and up into British Columbia, but they had big sheep operations too. In, in addition to their cattle herds, that were run totally separate. Uh, a lot of Basco uh, operators would come in and take over that sheep uh, element of the, of those big ranches, and that went up until the fifties as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I th- and I think probably a lot of it had to do with similar things. I mean, first of all, there was more of a market for for the sh- for sheep and then in addition to predator control. I mean, that it's just the only way you could you could run those large lo- lo- those large herds without having some loss in there. And and for the th- the simple fact too, some of that country that you know, what I would say would take 100 acres to run a cow, it runs sheep way way better. And we see that even in, in Oh. our particular state of Wyoming, you know, southern, southeast or southwestern Wyoming that's just dry and desolate and the sagebrush is only about six inches tall. It does way better with sheep than it does with cows. So, but uh, I tell you what, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We can talk more about some things here, folks. Uh, we're ch- the Captain Tim O'Byrne joining me here today. He's kind of the main host here today as we are uh, on the Working Ranch Radio Show. He's asking me some questions about how I was raised a little bit and, and some of our operations here. We're going to continue more when we come back here on the working ranch radio show don't keep your cow calf herd data in a notebook keep it in the cloud with performance ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes performance ranch is an easy to use app that simplifies record keeping and makes decision making easier keep track of herd inventory monitor health records and manage costs all from your ipad or iphone Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show, everybody. I am your captain, Tim O'Byrne, and I'm very honored to be uh, asked to be the guest of he didn't ask me, Justin. I kind of busted my way in here. There is a big blizzard going on in North America, so we may as well have a coffee and have a chat, Have a chat, just me and you. And I always wanted to know a bunch of stuff about you. And, uh, you know, your formative years, uh, you know, you're now you're into the cattle and the sheep living in Wyoming. And uh, just walk us through that. 
you ended up getting married to a wonderful gal. You got a great family, and you've done some things that are pretty remarkable. Let's brag up on you a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you about how I was raised, and we've talked a little bit about that in the previous segment. And and I guess uh, you know I come from a family. There's there's seven. I have seven uh, brothers and sisters, uh, four other brothers and three sisters, and so a large family. And where, where are you in the mix? I am number seven of eight. I'm number seven of eight. So I'm the uh, oh the lucky God. number seven. And I've got one younger brother than me that uh, lives here close to, to, and actually he's now living back on the on the uh, main ranch that we grew up on. His name's Brian, and and uh, he's back there. And uh, so, so yeah, we you know we we, we when when mom and dad moved uh, out to the ranch and, and then took that over in the seventies from my from my granddad and grandma. You know, uh, dad continued to do some of the same things that uh, he he is his granddad or his dad had done. And and uh, we talked about the fact that we had to sell out a sheep because of, of predator control. But one of the things that as I grew up, I took in as a project and some of it I've evolved into my years and time in FFA was uh, I got uh, 20 head of bum lambs. And from there, I took that money and I went into my relatives that back on the homestead place, the Millses that are the south of Gillette and I went and bought 20 head of ewes out of their buck herd they called it and I don't remember I think at the time it's like 150 or 200 bucks a ewe which was a lot of money at the time and still it still is maybe to some extent but I I bought those ewes from from them and I remember that day it was cold windy day and and they just pretty much let me pick out of the out of the bunch and so that's what started my sheep herd and so I did that and my my involvement continued as I as I continued it through high school um, in fact this last week was National FFA week so big shout out to all the FFA chapters out there and the kids and and the members that they're doing and and also the ag teachers I think then we need to think about them and oh, yeah. and thank them as well I think it's uh, important and I think that there's a lot of of us that have uh, have made a lot of memories through FFA and a lot of that roots back to a good advisor or advisors that that helped you out through getting your your green hand to green or chapter degree or your state or American FFA degree so uh, just want to recognize those folks but FFA as I was telling the kids this last week when I was sitting in the classroom talking to them I you know to me it was I I, I remembered it like uh, the equivalent of when when I got, when I finally learned to ride a bike, and they kind of looked at me funny, kind of I, I felt like they looked at me like a border collie looks at you when you're talking to them and their head's a little tilted, you know, <laughs> and and I said the reason the reason I I, I can I equate FFA to um to the seg, to the idea of when I learned to ride a bike because on a ranch, um you know when you learn to ride a bike, the world it's a whole new world. You get to go do things, oh, and, yeah. and there's a you know, <laughs> yeah, and and so that was my that was my equivalent to the kids last week as I was talking to them about the opportunities in FFA. But I continued on was the state FFA uh, officer for the for Wyoming, and and continued to go through college on a on a originally was going to be a wanted to be a veterinarian, but I f- realized that quickly that that was going to require way too many biology classes, and I that wasn't really my forte, so I backed out and went in instead to be a be a Voag teacher was a was what my degree was in ag education and so I didn't where, ever where'd teach. You to, where'd you go to school? We need to know. That okay, first. well I I started my first couple of years was at Northwest College in Powell, Wyoming, and that's where I met my what my would be my future wife Myla, and she was uh, okay. there to play volleyball at Northwest College, and so I went three years at a junior college. Yeah, I don't want to hear any more comments, but that's what it, that's what I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I finished up down at the University of Wyoming and got my agricultural education degree and student taught. Um, and in that process, while I was in college, had a, had been working for a company out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And it was a, a guy by the name of Al Snyder. And if there's any anybody li- uh, that's uh, that's former FFA members out there that are listening and, and maybe from around the country would know Al Snyder. He's been involved in FFA and was originally from Wyoming. But he hired me to go to help in his company as 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 being a installer and trainer of computer systems in veterinary clinics and so i did that and it was a great job i got to see all parts of the country because i traveled all all over including canada uh, for about three or four years there but the travel was really hard and by that time myla and i had graduated from college she had one more year down at the university of wyoming to finish up and travel was just that was hard on on getting on first year marriage well any marriage to be traveling that much and so i decided not to we i resigned that job and applied for a job in uh, Billings, Montana at the Northern Broadcasting System. And I'd grown up as a kid listening to uh, the Northern Ag Network while we were farming, you know, in, in the summertime or in the hay, hay tractor. And uh, and so I got a job there in marketing. And then later that moved into uh, three years after being there in marketing, I moved over into the continuing to do sales, but also being a broadcaster and reporting on pork bellies and cattle futures and all that kind of stuff. They don't even even do pork bellies anymore, but uh, they did back then. And uh, that was in radio and TV. And so that's kind of what started me back. It started me down that road, which is kind of where I'm at here today with you as well. And uh, so that was in Billings for six years. And then later on went over uh, to uh, and worked as the CEO and the general manager for the Northern International Livestock Exposition, which is a big livestock show, trade show, and we had other events throughout the year. So that's kind of where my professional career was here before I moved back to the ranch. So you and Mila did get a chance to, to, to explore other places together and have a home, you know, for a few years here and a few years there. Yeah, yeah, we did. We lived in Laramie, and then we lived in Billings. We lived in Billings for 15 years, and then in 2013, is her folks were wanting to kind of step back a little bit from from the day to day activities of their ranch in near uh, Upton, Wyoming, and that's down in Weston County, Wyoming. And so that's when we decided we we kind of prepped for this for about two or three years, and we decided. And then 2013, we moved uh, the fam- I moved the family here and continued to drive back and forth it's about a four-hour drive to Billings and would drive on the weekends back and forth and uh, we we did that for about six months as I we wanted to get the kids started in school in 2013 so that's when we moved back here and, and began uh, and we began leasing the ranch from Mila's folks is from them and so that's kind of what what started us back so we're just we're looking at about 10 years on that so I think at this point let's take a break and when we come back captain how about we can get into what I'm doing here on this ranch because I know some folks have had some questions about that and uh, I don't really like talking so much about myself as much as maybe some of the things we're, we've been doing here and I think folks would be interested on that so we'll do that when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your herd, visit gainsmart.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show, and it's my esteemed pleasure to be interviewing our regular host, Justin Mills, and we've learned a lot about him, and uh, I'm very happy about that. I just, I want to ask you this question, Justin, when you guys got back to the ranch 10 years ago, what was that like? Like, what did that feel like to get out of the grind and just step out the front door in the morning, watch the sunrise, smell that good, fresh country air, and, and just, and just you're master of your own destiny. Well, I, I can, I can take you to the place one morning that I was at and it was out at, we have what we call cow camp and it's, it was the old homestead, original homestead of Mila's uh, great, great granddad. And, and, and so we still have that place. There's no electricity out there. It's still the, the, the corrals and the main uh, facilities are out there. And I remember being right there in the yard one morning and realizing that I, I probably didn't even need to have my cell phone because there was no reason for anybody to call me. And knowing just that I had, I had walked away from the busyness of some of the, of the career that I'd had. I enjoyed it. I walked away on my, on my own accord. It wasn't for, there was no forcing out or nothing like that. It was a, it was at a point for us as a family that we knew that we needed to and to do something different our oldest boy Ethan was gonna gonna be in in I think fourth or fifth grade and it was important that we start getting our kids in an environment that we felt was going to be conducive to them being you know good kids basically I mean not that we couldn't raise good kids in town because there's a lot of good kids raised in town it's just that was that was something that we wanted to do so I I, I specifically remember that and just realizing just the like the tranquility of all of that and realizing that I you know I I mean, I had a cell phone, but it's not like I really needed to carry it other than, you know, just in case my wife needed to get a hold of me. So I, I still remember that, that that day. Do you think it was the right move for the family and the kids? Oh, I absolutely do. I, I think for them, um, you know, especially uh, just the idea of, of having having things that, that they have to be a part of here from a from the from the agricultural side i i think that's important that they understand that that we don't uh, i think that's part of what's what's sort of an issue with our society today is and, and maybe in ways no fault of of their own other than you know i used to always say well we're three and four generations away from the family farm we're further than that today and you know back in you know 20 years ago when i would give talks and i'd say you know people would talk about going to grandpa's farm they don't we don't even say that now because grand, I mean, our, no. grandpas don't have farms. Grandpas grew up in town. Now we're that far removed. Yeah. Now their grand, now our grandpas' grandpas might have been on a family farm, but I mean, 
and every step along the way that we get removed from agriculture, it's spooky to me because then the the con the idea that these kids being around the as you you know you and I were talking one time the the aspects of seeing life happening just as we are right now we're right in the middle of calving season for a lot of folks or lambing season for some some folks seeing life but at the same time also seeing life go away in the fact of death of an of a calf that's born or or a cow or your horse or your dog or things like that we don't want to that's not a fun and fun thing to have to go through but it's life and i think some of those kinds of things and then the work that's required of them to be a part of our deal all of those things are valuable to these kids the, the, the work and the reward after the hard work, I think, is really important, too. Mm-hmm. And would you say that, um, would, would you be confident in the next generation of, of ag kids, especially in the beef industry? Because I know I sure am. I'm very confident and I'm very, very uh, um, happy with their, you know, their motivation and, and the fact that they're kind of picking up where we left off and actually taking the lead in some of this other uh, you know, tech stuff that we need to, uh, you know, we, we grappled with Well, you didn't cause you're a tech genius, but the rest of us guys did. I'm pretty happy. What, what do you think about the kids coming up? Yeah, I, I am too. And, and here's why, because I think we've, we finally, we're finally to get some things pounded through in this. And this is the cliche we've heard. Um, why do you do this? I do it because because that's how grandpa did it or that's how dad did it and i think now that has been kind of kind of pushed out enough to for for kids to know that you know not to disrespect grandpa or dad but maybe that's not how we should do it going forward and i think they're challenging i think they're pushing the envelope a little bit we've got technology at our hands that we did not have 20 years ago technology continues to to uh avail itself to more opportunities and so you take that with the idea of kids that are wanting to push the envelope and i think you're seeing now uh, a crop of young ranchers and new ranchers that are um opening different doors that are that are just basically maybe challenging some of the traditional methods and not and again i i'm to, for me i feel there needs to be a balance i don't think you can just throw everything out that we've done traditionally and completely out and say it's absolutely useless it, that there's i think that's a very unwise mentality but i think it's just as unwise is to not ch- at least challenge some of those things and say, okay, how can we make that better? And I see the new crop of young kids coming in, young ranchers, and I'm saying anywhere from the ones that are right now in college and learning some business principles to the ones that are, you know, in their 30s and 40s that are going back to the ranch. I, I, I do think we have some real hope and, and future with those folks. So, folks, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode, uh, Should Junior Come Back to the Ranch? If you really want to get a feel for the the um, the ethical compass of, of our host, Justin Mills, and how he does feel about the kids, uh, go back and listen to that. There's always a nugget or two in your shows, Justin, and uh, we sure appreciate you having, you know, having come on board with us. What do you think about the future of the beef industry? I think... Uh you know, there's always going to be some challenges. I, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we had Clint Berry on, we were rehashing a little bit what we'd heard from the Cattle Facts report down at the uh, Cattle Industry Convention that you and I were both at in New Orleans. Um, you know, I think there's always a, a push of, uh, you know, in our industry of, 
you know, the different segments that, that, that we have, you know, we've got everything from those who are raising the calves to those that are feeding and those that are, are, are processing. And I, those elements, um, different times have, have strengths and weaknesses. And I think there's always going to be that challenge within our industry that, you know, how do we make that mesh? I mean, we're in a capitalistic environment, uh, which we all like, but there's also elements of that that create some of our issues. And I don't think we can just turn totally turn a, turn a blind eye to that. I, I get a little concerned sometimes when we have so much divisiveness uh, within our industry in terms of seeing the multiple ag groups that are out there. And I realize uh, that there's some va- validity to having the, the multitude of groups. But um, I mean, I, I don't want to sound really cliche, but I mean, uh, the words of divided will fall. Um, I, yeah. I, I just think sure. I, I, to me, that's, that's a big issue. And, and if we can't get united on some issues, um, it's, it's going to be really tough for us. And, and I, and I, I, I know as, as ranchers, as agricultural people, we like the independence that we have. We have independence every day for the most part when we can step out and, and if we wanted to feed the cows at seven o'clock this morning, we can do that. Or if we want to wait till nine o'clock, we can do that. That's that independence and it breeds itself into other areas of our lives. And that independence then takes us down the roads of some of the political issues that we, and it, that we see. And if we don't, and it's, and it's kind of, and it's, I don't know that it's necessarily just the ranching industry. I think it's partly our society is just in general. And that if we don't like what we hear, we just pick up our toys and we go find another sandbox. And sometimes that's not the best way to handle it. Sometimes is we need to hash it out and figure it out so that we can stay united. I'm, I'm very happy with the industry, the direction it's going, because when I first started doing this back in the 70s and 80s, there was no connect between the cow-calf producer that was selling 500 pound calves off the ranch to, you know, like either trucking them to the sale barn or uh, selling them private tree to somebody. Uh, there's no connectivity between the cow-calf guy, the feed yard, the sale barn, the packer, and the, you know, coming out the back door, getting to the meat case. There was none at all. Today, we understand pretty much universally throughout our industry. And we, I've seen it through, through the pages of Work and Ranch and through your, your radio show and social media that we are absolutely connected to. We are, are taking grass and turning it into uh, wholesome protein. And that part I really like. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I would say too this and, and I'm going to use the S word and it's going to be sustainable. And I'm not necessarily meaning the, the, the green sustainable. I think to be I think we're sustainable in all aspects is, is really becoming a focus that I think is really good because we know that if we want to be in operation down the road, we need to be sustainable. That means we need to be sustainable with our ground, our, our, our soil, our resources there, our, our finances, our family and our community and our industry as a whole. And that to me, I, I've, I will say that that gives me a lot of hope. Well, another thing too, Justin, I love about your show is you're not scared to mention faith. And that's a huge part of what we're doing here. We are serving uh, God. And I, and I think that needs to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, and it, it is important. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's the root of, of a lot of this. And, and I've, as, as I've said before, it goes back to a, a key thing for, for that I feel is important and that's stewardship. And I think stewardship and sustainability have a lot in common. And the fact is that if we're going to take good care of what God's given us, then it's going to require us to be, uh, to have, for us to have a future in that and in all aspects of our life. 
Justin, fill the folks in a little bit on what you're into these days. What's at the top of your list? Okay. Well, uh, for for us here, as, as I came back to the ranch, it was one of the things I knew I had to do is we had to, we had to be profitable in what we were doing. And so I knew, you know, in, in that element, we needed to increase our, our scope of enterprises, uh, not just numbers of enterprises in a way, but also the, the scope in each of those enterprises. And so um, at, at the particular time, I didn't have a lot of capital or a lot of ability to finance anything. And so we began grazing, uh, doing custom grazing. And I continue to this day to, to do uh, a little little bit of our enterprise mix to be custom grazing. I found that to be very adaptable to drought situations. If we are in a dry year, I can cut back those numbers and and still uh, be able to manage the number of, of livestock that we have on the place. But we'll run, uh, you know, right now we've got about 350 or so, uh, 350 head of uh, cows that will calve out this spring. Some of those are some first calf heifers. And then for the last couple of years, we've actually been keeping heifer calves back and, and growing those up. And some, some will keep, some will sell. And that's kind of what the enterprise mix is there from the cattle side. Now, from sheep side, I have uh, brought in sheep. Now, uh, this we brought in some again this last fall. We'd taken about a three-year hiatus there of not with no sheep in here because we were drought pretty droughty in our part of the country. And I just needed to cut numbers back. And so uh, we've we've used sheep as a pretty good method of filling in some holes uh, from a grazing standpoint, but also tremendous uh, brush control. We have quite a bit of sagebrush here that's pretty good size sagebrush, and they do a number. These are haired sheep. They do a number on the on the sagebrush and the brush, and so um, that's that's been something. In fact, uh, I can go and I can show folks here's where these sheep have grazed, and you can really see it's been pretty detrimental on the sagebrush, and so that's kind of where, where we're at with that. One of the other things in all of that, too, is getting some of our large pastures, or most of our pastures, I should say, broken up into smaller paddocks that allows us to do not i'm going to say we're doing mob grazing we're not because it's it's not that but it is more intensive grazing and uh, we've continued to do that at the same time knowing that in order to effectively do that we've had to improve our water and when i came on the place we had decent water a well with uh, several tanks out spread out throughout the place we've continued to add more to that the last several years with the idea that uh, uh from any point where a cow's standing on the place, she'll be within good water within a half a mile's walk. And so that's been kind of the goal. Well, wow, that's pretty good. And yeah, and so that's what we're continuing to try to do. And that's that's helped our turnover, which would be your numbers. Your numbers are your amount of cattle or livestock you're running through the year. And uh, all of that has helped us. And that's kind of where we're at now. I don't know that I answered everybody's questions on that, but uh, we did have a pretty good conversation. Well, we're proud to have you on board, uh, Justin, and I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. I I hope uh, folks made it through the storm okay, and uh, uh, we'll we'll visit with you guys next week again. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. All right. Well, thanks, Captain. And yeah, next week's show, it's going to be a great one, folks. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But again, Captain, I appreciate you joining us and helping us out on this week's episode. And uh, folks, stay with us as we take a break here. When we come back, meteorologist Don Day is going to be joining us as we take a look at our long-term weather when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. 
Calves from Cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, the Captain Tim O'Byrne sitting in here. He's on the side right now. He's been the, the main host this week on our show. We appreciate you joining us as we take a look now at our weather. Brought to you by Indovac Beef. Indovac offering protection against pasturella, manhemia, E. coli, and salmonella. You know, it's paired with an Im- immune stimulant that's called Immune Plus, and it boosts the animal's overall immune system. For more information, go to their website at indovacbeef.com or contact your local Indovac representative today. Well, joining us now is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And uh, Don, we just, uh, last week, kind of a pretty tough storm. In fact, we've talked about it at the front end of our show. That's part of the reason our show is a little bit different this week is our guests couldn't join us with some of the weather that they've had. So I had mentioned before we went on air, I said kind of in a reprieve for a while and you kind of kind of had that sneaky laugh a little bit. So why was that a sneaky laugh? Uh, the reason I say that is, is that... Uh, for a large part of the central and western United States, uh, this most recent stormy and very cold weather pattern is really the start of of a of a short term trend. You know, at least over the next week or two, and maybe longer, where there's going to be more stormy weather, uh, really focused in the central and western and northern areas of the United States. This Arctic outbreak. Um, is not unusual for February. Obviously, mm-hmm. February is usually when we have some big Arctic outbreaks. They usually happen in early February, but this is the second year in a row we've had a late February Arctic outbreak. And I and I do see a pattern that takes us into March that is looking colder and uh, with more storms. Now, it's not going to be a, a pattern of continuous storms. There'll be gaps three or four days between them. But the way things are shaping up, what has been a rough winter for some folks is is likely going to stay that way. Um, I know a lot of folks after this most recent storm and parts of the Intermountain West having a hard time getting the livestock because of some really big drifts and closed roads. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, for different folks. I I feel like for us here now we're kind of in a literally little in a little hole here, and I haven't seen the volume of snow that other part other folks have other seen, but uh, it it's been pretty severe for others. Don, the concern I've got a little bit is we're, we're seeing moisture, and I, and I hate to go through more cold temperatures and, and more storms, but that's what's also bringing some moisture down the road that will melt off. I'm a little concerned because this last storm that went through didn't hit the southeastern, you know, the south central plains. Now they're probably not wanting severe cold weather down there, but they're going to need some moisture. Is anything coming down for them? Great point. And you know, it's it's like what happens when you get into these drought patterns, but also get into wet patterns, it tends to be the rich get richer and the poor yeah. get poorer. And those Southern Plains, while over the last couple of weeks, they've gotten a little bit of moisture. They did miss out on this one. I am optimistic that moisture in the Southern Plains is going to increase, but it's going to come later. So as we get, let's say, into the middle part of March, end of March and into early April, I do see some help for mm-hmm. the Southern Plains. Up until then, the Pacific Northwest, California, the southwestern United States, the central northern Rockies, and then the the Dakotas, the northern plains up across northern Minnesota, kind of will be the focal point of the heaviest precipitation. But as we go deeper into March, into April and May, we are seeing some hints of storms taking tracks further south into those areas. Mm-hmm. So um, 
Nobody wants to tell folks, well, you need to wait a little longer, but unfortunately that's where we are. But I am optimistic that with the rapid uh, decay that's going on of La Nina out in the tropical Pacific right now, that is a really good sign for the Southern Plains that maybe this spring will be a bit more productive with rain and snow. Well, and I think if they could choose, I mean, if we all could choose, we'd rather have it in the form of rain uh, rather than snow, cold and ice. But uh, that's not always a choice for especially of those of us that ranch or live up in the northern part of the country. But I think for folks down in the southern central plains, they'd prefer it more in rain than that ice storms that they've had, you know, that's marked their history like last couple of years or so. Right. And well, that's one benefit. If it is a little bit later going into, let's say, mid to late March, April, the odds of it being ice and snow down into those areas is certainly lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I do get a lot of requests for it to rain at night <laughs> yeah. uh, and be sunny during the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, Don, I appreciate you joining us this week, giving us a little update on our weather. Sounds good. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. And it'd be a good spot to go find his daily video podcast, as he was saying, the next month or so is going to be kind of hit and miss on the weather. If you want to know how that's going to be playing out, go to his website, dayweather.com, and you can find the link to his daily video podcast. Our weather today brought to you by Indovac Beef, offering protection against pasturella, manhemia, E. coli, and salmonella. For more information, go to their website site at endovacbeef.com or contact your local Indovac representative today. Stay with us. We'll put a wrap on this week's show when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Well, coming up on next week's Working Ranch Radio Show, be sure to join us. We will, in fact, be covering the topic on year-round grazing. Now, I know if you're regular listeners, as I tail out of any episode, we always talk about what's coming up next week. Now, this week, it was a little tough with the winter weather storm that we had in our neck of the woods that kind of interrupted some of the schedules for some of my guests that I had lined up. So we had to postpone that. I sure appreciate the Captain Tim O'Byrne stepping in and helping out with hosting responsibilities here earlier in the program so but next week we will have uh, that show on uh, talking about year-round grazing as we've got guests lined up that'll talk about how they have been doing that in more of the southern and wetter climates as well as uh, we'll have some guests that talk about how they are doing it in the northern climates that have to deal with some of that harsher weather much like we saw this past week so that will be on tap for next week's edition of the working ranch radio show again i do want to thank the captain as i mentioned he co-hosted earlier in our show today appreciate him joining us he is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers as he is busy working on the next issue coming out. Now, if you would like to get a hold of me about something you heard on the show or a question you might have, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Be sure to join us right here at this same time, same place next week or on your favorite podcast provider. On behalf of the captain, Tim O'Byrne, and myself, your host, Justin Mills. Until next time, keep your chin down. And your mind in the middle. So long. <laughs>